Well, we're calling November Missions Month. You probably saw that in your bulletin. If you're on Facebook, you may have seen it on there. We're calling this Missions Month. Um, usually, end of October, first part of November, we do a missions emphasis. Um, usually, it's just two weeks. This week, we're kind of going two and a half or three, three Sundays with this. So, we're just calling November Missions Month. Um, we're going to be hearing d- during this month stories from some of the missionaries that we support as a church. We're also going to be hearing about the call of God that God has placed upon the hearts of some other people. We're not supporting them yet, um, but they're out itinerating. They feel like God's calling them into the mission field, and they're trying to raise the support that they need. So I want to encourage you to be with us uh, for the next few weeks, Sunday morning and Sunday night. We're not going to have anybody the Wednesday nights this time around, um, but Sunday mornings and Sunday nights we'll be hearing um, from some of our, our missionaries of what God's doing through them. So even if you're not a regular Sunday night person, please come out. Um, it's going to be a great time as we hear what God's doing um, around the world. But today I want to lay the groundwork for what you're going to be hearing the next few weeks. I want to emphasize that the work of a missionary is not something that is done only by those that we'll be hearing from. The work of a missionary is something that we should all be involved in. You'll never find the word missionary in the Bible. It's a more modern term. It's something that we use. The word missionary is never in the Bible. The word missionary actually means one sent. That's what it means. One sent. Someone who is sent And we just use missionary for that. For that reason, I've titled my message today, The Power of One Sent. And we're going to be kind of having a little bit of fun with that word sent um, a little bit later and using some different uh, um, spellings and stuff of, of, of that word. But we often think of people like Paul and Barnabas in the Bible as some of the earliest missionaries. And they were the earliest, some of the earliest missionaries in the, what we call the early church, but actually they were not the first missionaries. Ever since the first sin in the Garden of Eden, God's been calling people back to himself and sending people with a message of redemption. In the Old Testament, they were usually called prophets. We didn't call them missionaries then. We didn't call them apostles. We called them prophets. A prophet was someone who was sent by God to give a special message, usually a message of repentance. You need to turn from your sins. You need to turn back from God. Prophets were missionaries. We read in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So Jonah was called, he was commissioned, he was sent by God. He was supposed to be a missionary to Nineveh to tell about God's love and God's grace should they accept it. Now most of us, if we grew up in church, know the rest of the story. Jonah heard the word of the Lord. He understood what God was asking him to do. He knew that God was sending him. God wanted him to be a missionary, but Jonah refused. He got on a boat and headed in the opposite direction. God never forces us to do anything. God gives us instructions. There's a lot of things in here. He tells us what we should do, but he doesn't force us to do it. God places a call on our lives. We feel the Holy Spirit tugging on our hearts saying, I want you to do this. We have a choice to make. We can obey God or we can disobey God. He doesn't 
force us to do what he wants to do. Of course, sometimes he does turn the pressure up a little bit, and we start realizing maybe I'm going through some of the things I'm going through and experiencing some of the things. I'm not saying that everything bad that happens to us is because we're disobeying God. There are some things that just happen because we're living in a sinful world, and, and other people sin and do things, and sometimes their choices affect us. But sometimes God does bring situations into our life to give us a wake-up call and say, hey, you're ignoring the call that I placed on your life. I sent you. You're supposed to be a missionary, and you're doing the exact, exact opposite. So God allowed Jonah to spend three nights in the belly of a big fish to get his attention. How many think that would get your attention if you had to send, spend three days in the belly of a fish? Jonah finally realized, this has happened to me because I'm disobeying God. Maybe I should listen to him and do what he's asked me to do. So Jonah had the fish spit him up on the shore. And then in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, we read this. After Jonah spent the time in a fish, he's just recently got a new lease on life. He's now sitting on the shore. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. He said, I don't want to spend, spend time in the belly of something else. I think I'll go. And then in verse 5, it says Jonah went, he obeyed the word, and because Jonah obeyed, in verse 5 we read, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, I love this, all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. That was their way of repenting and saying, God, we're sorry. Please forgive us of our sins. The whole city repented. But it only happened because Jonah chose to obey God. Jonah listened to the scent, to the call. Jonah went and did what God asked him to do. God's desire is that every person in the world would believe and follow him. That's why he sent his son Jesus into the world. Yes, even Jesus was a missionary. He was sent by God to proclaim the good news. Luke chapter 4, verse 18, in Jesus' own words, of course, quoting the prophet, prophet Isaiah, he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent, that's the word we're looking for, sent, sent me, a missionary. He's called me to be a missionary. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. Luke chapter 4, verse 43, again, Jesus talking. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because that is why I was sent. John 6, 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, says this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son, into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus was a missionary. He was sent by his father. He listened to the call, listened to the, the command, and he 
went. And because he went, people repented. People were reunited with his father in heaven. Jesus was sent with a message. The message was God loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. Not only did Jesus proclaim the message of love, he proved the love by giving his life. But Jesus was only one man. He could only be one place at a time. So he commissioned or called other people to share in his missionary work. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, he called some of the disciples. He said, come follow me and I will send you to fish for people. Mark chapter 3, verse 14. He appointed 12 He had many disciples, but he took 12 of them and appointed those 12 that they might be with them and that he might send them out to preach. Then in Mark chapter 6, verse 7, again, talking about the 12, he says he called the 12 to him and he began to send them out two by two and gave them the authority over impure spirits. Jesus called, trained, and sent his 12 disciples to share his mission. What was his mission? To tell the world how much his father loved them and to hopefully restore the relationship between them and his father in heaven. Later, just before Jesus returned to heaven, he again commissioned his disciples and sent them into the world. Matthew 28, 19 to 20, Jesus said, Therefore, go. That's another way of saying I'm sending you. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. His disciples took that charge seriously. Jesus told them to go. He sent them. Instead of running in the opposite direction like Jonah did, they, began, they went and began to preach the gospel in every nation of the world. And as they went sharing the good news of the kingdom, just like in Nineveh, although the whole world did not repent at one time, people listened. Christianity spread like wildfire. Nothing could stop it because the early believers took their calling seriously. Jesus said, go. And they went. Ken Curtis said, Dr. Ken Curtis, he's the, uh, a history professor at the University of California, um, writes about the spread of the early church. He, he researches one of the things he, he did for history, and he writes about the spread of the early church. And he says, quote, It was unthinkable that a small, despised movement from a corner of Palestine could move out to become the dominant faith of the mighty Roman Empire, a- an empire steeped in fiercely defended traditional pagan religions. The spread of the Christian church in its earliest centuries is one of the most amazing phenomena in all of human history. He says some other things, then he comes back to say, wave after wave of persecution was unleashed to squash it. At least two of the persecutions were empire-wide and intended to destroy the church. So how did this young, fledgling movement make it? Then he goes on to say, that although there were a few big-name missionaries, such as the Apostle Paul, the biggest reason Christianity spread as fast as it did was because of a multitude of humble, ordinary 
believers. People that will never read about by name. We don't know who they are. But that was the rise. That was the spread of Christianity. Yes, Paul did his part. Peter did his part. John did his part. But the majority of the work was done by ordinary people. People without a seminary degree. In fact, none of the apostles had a seminary degree. Maybe Paul would be the closest thing because he stuttered under, under Gamaliel. He knew the Jewish law and, and the Old Testament. Ordinary people who said, we are going to go. Jesus said go, and that wasn't just for the 12. It's for us, and we will go. We will be sent. We will tell the world about Jesus. Ken again says, on the surface, the early Christians appeared powerless and weak. They were an easy target for scorn and ridicule. They had no great financial resources, no buildings, no social status, no government approval, no respect from the educators. And after they became separated from their first century association with the Jewish synagogues, they even lacked institutional backing and ancient traditions to appeal to. But what mattered most was what they did have. They had faith. They had fellowship. They had a new way of life. And they had a confidence that their Lord was alive in heaven and guiding their daily lives. They said, it's not what we don't have. It's what we have. We have the answer. And we're going to give the answer to anyone who will listen. You know what? We still have the answer. Jesus has always been the answer. And if you have Jesus, you have everything you need. Your job is to share him. You have been sent. But what will you do with that scent? Yes, there were a few big names like Peter, Paul, and Barnabas. But the real success of the early church were people that we don't even know by name. They never built a big church. They never had a big following. They never wrote a book or a letter that became part of the Bible. They were just normal people who knew that they had been called by God. God had commanded them to go. They had been sent to reach their neighbors. So they took their assignment seriously. We read about it in Acts chapter 8 verse 1. This is right after the stoning of Stephen. And Paul was there. And that's when Paul really started his campaign against the church. It says, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. In other words, the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. That was kind of their headquarters. They stayed in Jerusalem. The rest of the believers were scattered. They ran away from the persecution. But we jump down a couple verses to verse 4. It says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. They didn't say, well, we can't do this. We got to wait for Paul. We got to wait for Peter. We got to wait for John. They took the word with them wherever they went. Each believer did their part. Each believer preached the gospel to anyone who would listen. These were ordinary people. They didn't have seminary degrees. They didn't have ministerial credentials. And yet they preached wherever they went. What does it mean to preach? I decided to look it up. So I looked up preach in the dictionary. There are three definitions. The first two are normally what we think about when we hear preach. We think about going to church and letting the preacher preach. 
That's what we normally think about. The first definition is to deliver a sermon or religious address to an assembled group of people, typically in a church. The second definition is to publicly proclaim or teach, then in parentheses, a religious message or belief. The third definition is to earnestly advocate a belief or course of action. Let me say that again. To earnestly advocate a belief or course of action. I'd like to suggest this morning that everyone in this room are preaching every day. Whether you like it or not, whether you realize it or not, you are preaching every day. You are advocating a particular lifestyle, a particular set of beliefs. You are telling people, maybe not with words, but at least with your actions, you are telling people where your values are and persuading them to either accept or reject your values. We are all preaching. The question is, what are we preaching? What beliefs are we preaching? Who are we preaching? We are preaching. There is an old saying that a lot of people try to attribute to St. Francis. Um, there's no evidence that he actually said these things. Regardless of who said it, it is, it, is, it is a good saying. It says, preach to everyone, and if necessary, use words. Preach to everyone, and if necessary, use words. We don't always have to use words to preach. In fact, a lot of times our actions speak louder than the words that we speak. You probably heard somebody say, practice what you preach. Because a lot of times we're saying one thing, but we're doing something else. And that was one of the successes, according to Ken, um, in, his, in his article on the growth of the early church. People listened to what they said, but the reason people listened to what they said is because they watched what they did, and there was, th th there was continuity between those things. The Christians didn't live like everyone else. They lived differently, and people were curious. There's something different about you. People would watch their lifestyle. The Christians were feeding other people and selling what they had and giving money to people who had nothing. They were always caring for people. The pagans didn't do that. The pagans ignored people on the street. They said, you figure this out. The Christians would stop to help those in need. And other people watched and said, nobody does that. Why are you doing that? It was a perfect opportunity to share the reason they did what they did. It's because we have found someone who is the answer and someone who guides our lives. We're all preaching every day. The question is, what are we preaching? The biggest reason the early church grew so quickly was every believer believed that they had been sent individually to reach those that they had contact with. 
but they didn't only concentrate on their immediate sphere of influence. Jesus said the gospel should be preached to the uttermost parts of the world. So in addition to sharing the good news individually, they also sent missionaries like Paul and Barnabas to establish churches in new places. They said, I can reach these. I've got the sphere of influence. My neighbors, my work associates, I've got these certain people that I can share with. But there are people other places that I won't be able to touch. And I want them to hear the good news too. So I am going to invest in People who will go and share the good news with them. Many scriptures, I just written, wrote down a couple of them. You go through Acts, you'll see it over and over again. Acts chapter 8, verse 14. It says, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, and that was because of one of the people, or maybe a few people that were scattered. It comes right out of the section where it says, the people were scattered, and everywhere they went, they shared the good news. Somebody went and shared the good news, but they, that was all they knew. They could tell what their experience, they needed somebody who knew a little bit more than they did to continue the work. So when the apostles heard that Samaria had accepted the word, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. They said, we're going to send somebody else there to further the work, to establish a church in Samaria. So they sent Peter and John as missionaries. Acts 11, 22, same thing happened. News of this, of what? News of people, if you read before it, news of people accepting Christ in Antioch through normal people. That's where it started. Through normal people. It wasn't Billy Graham. It wasn't some big evangelist coming into town. It was ordinary believers that started the work. And then they said, okay, now we need to send someone to raise up a church, to train people. So when the news reached the church in Jerusalem, they sent Barnabas. To Antioch. They said, you're going to be our missionary. We're going to send you to establish the church in Antioch. Sometimes missionaries were sent into places where the gospel had never been preached. Other times, missionaries were sent to bring further instruction and teaching to new converts that had already been won by one of the ordinary believers. However, it was established churches that commissioned those missionaries and sent them out. When missionaries were sent out, they weren't just sent out to fend for themselves. It was like, okay, you need to go figure it out. There was a system for how they sent the missionaries out. They always went with the support of an established church or a conglomeration of a multitude of churches. These churches covered the missionaries with both prayer support and financial support. They didn't just say, great, God's called you. Go do it because I don't want to. They said, we will support you in what God's called you to do. Before they left for the mission field, local believers would lay their hands on the missionary and pray over them. And we read that over and over in Acts, that they called them forward and laid hands on them and prayed over them. And we do that here when we have missionaries with us. We'll be doing that over the next few weeks as we have missionaries. They're going to share their calling. They're going to share what God's been doing. And we're getting ready to send them back out or maybe send them out for the first time. One of the things we're going to do is we're going to bring them down, for, down front. And I'm going to ask you guys to come and join me as we lay hands on them and pray over them, pray blessings that God will will anoint the message that he's given them, that God will open the ears of the people to hear what they say. We're going to pray over them that God will bring in the finances. We're going to pray for health, that God will, will keep them healthy, that he'll protect them because it's a dangerous world out there. I mean, it's a dangerous world here in Yakima, but, you know, it's a lot more dangerous other places. We're going to be praying over them. That's biblical, to pray over them, give them prayer support, and not just to pray for them once and say, okay, we prayed, now go, 
but to continue to pray for them. And all of our missionaries have prayer cards that they leave with us. Those are designed for us to put in our Bible or put on our refrigerator or put on our rearview mirror in our car so we can pray for them while we're driving to and from work. Those are so we can remember every day we need to cover them with prayer. We don't want them going out there by themselves. We want to be with them in prayer. Then the other thing the church would do is it would take up a collection to send them with. Say, okay, it's going to take money to get to where you're going. It's going to take money for you to do what you need to do. So here, we're taking a collection. We're going to send you with money to get the work started. But that wasn't the end of it. We read through the book of Acts that they would continually take up collections and they would then forward those collections on to Paul, Barnabas, whoever it was that they had sent out. They would send that money on to help continue the work. They were in it together. In our churches today, we still follow the example that was set by the early church. This church, Central Assembly, has many missionaries, which we support monthly. You can look at our missions board out there. And missionaries are amazed when they come in and they see the size of our church and they see how many missionaries we're we're supporting. Man, you guys are supporting a lot of missionaries. We support them monthly with finances, and we support them monthly with prayer. Approximately every four years, our missionaries come back and give a report of what God has done through their ministry. And we have an opportunity to rejoice with them before sending them out again. And that's what we're going to be doing over this next couple Sundays. They're going to come back. They're going to say, okay, you sent us out. You supported us financially. You supported us with prayer. We want to give you a report of the great things that God has done because we're part of what they're doing wherever they're at. So I hope you'll join with us this next few weeks as we hear from some of our missionaries. I also hope that you'll join us as we cover them in prayer support. That You won't say, oh, that's just the pastor's job. That's the board's job. I hope you will join us in praying for them. And I hope you'll join us in supporting them financially. I'm constantly getting emails or letters from missionaries about an extra need that they have. They've got their monthly support, but something extra came up, and they're trying to figure out how they're going to do that. Can we be a part of that? And every once in a while, we're able to sit down with the board and look at the finance and say, yeah, we can, we can forward a little bit extra money. I've got three requests right now from, from missionaries or from, from uh, um, well, still missionaries, local, local, local ministries. Chi Alpha, one of the ministries of support in Central, uh, in, at Central Washington University, they need to update the electrical system in their house there. It's going to cost them $5,000. They said, can Central Assembly be part of this? Can you help us with the electrical work here? And that's just for the, for the materials they need. They've already got the labor covered. They need help with materials. When you give, it allows us to be able to meet these needs as they come up so they can continue to get the gospel out on the college campus or in another country if we're, if we're dealing with a foreign missionary. So I hope you'll join with us to help meet the needs of the missionaries that we have sent to go into the world. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15 says, Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? I want to spend the next few moments having a little fun with that word sent and hopefully giving you an illustration that will help you to remember the power of the sent. 
Ushers, if you come at this time, I want you to pass out both the pennies and the, and the uh, um, faith promise cards. Ushers are coming. They're going to give you each a little card. I'll t- tell you a little bit what that's for. And they're going to give you each a penny. One cent. We're going to use that one cent to learn an important principle of what can happen when we give our cent to God. The power of the scent. As they're giving you your pennies this morning, when you get that penny, I want you to look at it. I want you to just kind of look at it. Hold it there and just kind of examine, examine the penny. We're going to focus on the penny as we talk about missions. We're going to focus on the word scent, but I want to start out by talking about the scent you have in your hand that has a monetary value to it. Not a lot. I mean, think about it. How much can you buy with one cent? Most people anymore walk past a cent in the gutter. You see on a gutter, gutter in a parking lot. It's not even worth the effort to bend down and pick it up unless you're superstitious and you want to see if it's heads or tails. Most people ignore it. You know what? When I was a kid, we didn't ignore pennies because one penny would buy me Bazooka Joe bubblegum. A penny was actually worth something then. But now you think about it, this is a cent. What can one cent do? This is not even worth keeping. Some of you may throw your pennies. Or maybe you put them on the counter in those little bowls for somebody else who needs, needs, needs some change to help make their, pay their tax or something. That's, that, that, that's fine. But I want to show you how powerful one cent really is. Maybe some of you have heard this before. There was a man who went to apply for a new job. And when his employer, prospective employer asked how much he expected to get paid, he said, let's make a deal. This is what he said. He said, I'll work for one penny the first day. And then what I want you to do is double my pay every day for 30 days. At the end of 30 days, we can freeze my salary at whatever it is at the end of 30 days. How many employers say, I'll take that employee? One penny. How much can one penny really do? It's only 30 days. How much can that one penny really do? The employer thought he was getting the deal of the century, so he jumped at the offer. He thought he was about to get the best deal of his life. The employee was going to work for pennies a day. But he didn't realize the power of a penny. So I want you to watch the screen here as we add up this penny as it simply doubles itself for 30 days. Let's start out. Go ahead. Day one, he gets paid one penny. How many would work one day for a penny? Day two, he gets two cents. Day three, he gets four cents. Day four, he gets eight cents. Day five, he's at 16 cents. He's worked a whole week for less than a dollar. Day six, 32 cents. Day seven, 64 cents. Day eight, $1.28. Day nine, $2.56, still below minimum wage for an hour's worth of work. Day 10, 
$5.12. The employer's thinking, man, this guy's a sucker. <laughs> I'm coming out really good on this deal. He's not, still not even making an hourly rate, and I'm paying him full day wages for this. I've got the best end of this deal. The end of 10 days, he's only making $5.12 for that day, and he's made less than that for all the other days. Let's keep going. Day 11. Day 11. $10.24. Day 12. $20.48. Day 13, $40.96. Now some of the teenagers are saying, I'd, I'd work a day for that. Day 14, $81.92. Day 15, $163.84. Now some of the adults are saying, I wish I made that in a day. Day 16, $327.68 for one day's work. Day 17, $655.36. Day 18, $1,310.72 for one day's work. Day 19, $2,621.44. Day 20, $5,000. $242.88. We keep going through these. Just go ahead and just kind of cycle through the rest of those. And by the end of the week, by the end of the 30 days, if we add all the daily early earnings together for 30 days, one penny doubled each day. At the end of 30 days, his total earnings, $10,726,932.42. million starting with a penny. A penny added to another penny, added to another penny, added to another penny. One penny on its own isn't much, but those pennies add up. Our boys and girls in a lot of churches collect their change to help missionaries buy Sunday school papers and things that they need to teach the gospel to kids. Millions of dollars per year coming from loose change. A couple of years ago, when they had one of the hurricanes, Mindy and I wanted to help Convoy of Hope get in and give some aid to the, to the uh, people who were recovering from the hurricanes. But we were a little short on funds at the time. We said, what can we do? We said, you know what? We've got loose change that we've been collecting. Every night when we come home, we take our loose change of the day. We just kind of set it in a bowl, and pretty soon that goes into a jar. We said, let's just roll up this money, and let's send whatever we have. We sent $400 in loose change to help the victims of the hurricane. Don't discount the power of a penny. Every little bit helps. When it comes to supporting missions, a lot of people want to be involved. They just don't see how they can really do that much. They say, if I had more, I'd give. But what difference can my small donation make? It might be true that your small donation by itself can't do a whole lot. 
But if everybody does a little, it adds up to millions and billions of dollars, which help propel the gospel, help get the message of Jesus to where it needs to go. So we just learned about how powerful a penny is. I want you to still hold that penny because I want to talk about something else that is just as powerful. We all need to be involved in giving. We should, that's something we should all be doing. This year, I want to challenge everyone in this room. If you're not already giving, do something. Start somewhere. Start small. Even if it's only a dime. Start somewhere. Get involved in the work of missions. Give something to help. And that card that we passed out to you, before I move on, it's called a faith promise card. You don't have to fill that out right now. What I want you to do is I want you to take that home and pray over it this week and say, God, what do you want me to do? And it's called faith promise for a reason because I want you to step out in faith. I'm going to up my pledge this year. But I want you to step out in faith and I want you to hear from God. Say, God, what do you want me to do this year? What can I do? And God will lay a figure on your head and it may even sound like it's an impossibility. Everybody look at that penny again. I think it's on the front side of the penny. What words do you see across the top of that penny? In God, we trust. In God, we trust. God will never ask you to do anything that he won't give you the ability to do. For some of you, $10 would be a lot of money. $10 a month would be a lot. If God says, I want you to give $10 a month, say, okay, God, I don't know where it's going to come from, but I trust you. Put that on that card. Keep part of it for yourself as a reminder. Turn the rest of it in, because we're trying to set our budget for the year and know, can we take on more missionaries? What, what can we do? Turn it in and say, this is by faith what I'm going to give. By faith, I'm trusting God to give me that extra $10 a month. If I have to, I'm going to sell something each month to get the $10 a month. For some of you, it'd be really easy. Have you ever calculated how much that one Starbucks a day costs you? Wouldn't be that hard. If I had more money, I'd give it. Well, can you sacrifice a Starbucks a week or a Starbucks a day? How much does that bottle of water cost you? You know, you can buy a water filter and fill your own bottles. They give you a lot of extra money. See, sometimes it's not that we don't have, it's just that we're not spending it as wisely as we could. Some of that is asking God to say, God, show me the areas where I can cut back to get a little bit to give. But pray about it. Say, God, what do you want me to give? I'm going to trust you. My money, every piece of currency we have has those words, in God we trust. Say, God, I am going to trust you with my finances. I'm going to start listening to you. And God, if you want me to give it, I'm going to trust you to provide it. That means I'm not going to go out and spend money frivolously, but I'm going to trust you to provide for my needs. Step out in faith. And let's make a commitment to be involved in the work of missions this year. But now let's do a little play on that, that scent. You got that scent in your hand. One scent. I want to change the spelling of that to S-E-N. You've just seen in my little illustration there what a penny can do doubled each day. Jesus said, go into the whole world and preach the gospel. His command was not just for the 12. His command was for every believer. Every one of us has been sent by God. You know what? 
Historians say that by the end of the 5th century, one-third of the world population had been converted to Christianity. By the end of the 5th century. How did it happen? By people sharing the gospel one-on-one. And then those people sharing the gospel one-on-one. But something happened around the 5th century which stopped that. The church became institutionalized. They started hiring pastors and building buildings. And people would come to the building to hear what the pastors had to say. And people said, I don't have to do it anymore because we have professionals now to do that job. People stopped doing the work. And when they stopped doing the work, the ratio started changing. I wish we could say now that a third of the world population was Christians. We've lost ground. Why? Because we've stopped following the mandate that Jesus gave. Each one, reach one. There was a song by that title years ago. Each one, reach one. One person on their own can't do a lot. But when a bunch of people work together and each one reaches one, it adds up. Together, we can reach more people than Billy Graham. We can reach more people than every church in America if we all work together. Now, play this little game with me right now. We saw what the penny can do. We have, I'm going to round it off to 100 people. Some Sundays a little less, some Sundays a little bit more. Let's round it off to 100 people. What if, Each person in this room made the commitment to reach one person this year. Only one. I'm not asking to reach the whole city. But what if each person in this room said, God, lay somebody on my heart that will be my mission for the year. I'm going to invite them to coffee. I'm going to have them over for dinner. I'm going to find every opportunity I can to share you with them. And I'm going to pray for them. That's a big part is praying for them. Every day I'm going to pray for this person that you give me opportunities. Just focus on what, don't focus on the whole city. Just focus on one person. What if each one of us only won one person to Christ this year? Does that sound impossible? For every person in this room to win just one person in a year's time? Next year we'd be in two services. We'd have 200 people. And then what if each of those 200 people said, hey, this next year, we're all going to win one person. At the end of the second year, we'd have 400 people. And what if each of those 400 people said, we're all going to reach one person this year? It would grow to 800. That's what was happening in the early church. Each person was going about the job. Each person was sent. Each person took it seriously. I'm not asking you to go crazy here. Just one person a year. And if each person would simply win one person a year, and that kept multiplying, Yakima population, according to the latest census, there are 93,667 people in Yakima. How long would it take to reach the entire population of Yakima if each person, and we're just talking this, what if all the churches got involved in this? We're just talking 100 people here. If 100 people invested, started multiplying themselves, and that continued, how long do you think it would take to reach all of Yakima with the gospel of Christ? 11 years. The whole city 
would know Jesus in only 11 years. But do we stop with Yakima? What if all those people, 96,000 or whatever, probably be 100,000 by then, which, you know, we do 100,000 if we, if, if, if we do that for 11 years. Only a year and a half longer, we would reach Yakima County. All of Yakima County, population 250,193. In 12 and a half years, all of Yakima County would know Jesus. Seventeen and a half years, all of Washington would know Jesus. 7,170,351 people would know Jesus in only 17 and a half years. Keep it going. In 23 years, the U.S. US population of 326,776,748, the whole nation would be believers in 23 years. And it would only take 28 years to reach the entire world population, even allowing for population growth. The world population right now is 7.7 billion people. But even with the average population growth rate in only 28 years, every person in the world would know Jesus. That's the power of one cent. But if we put the cent in our pocket, if we say that's for somebody else, let somebody else do the job. It doesn't happen. When each of us take the call seriously, when each of us begin to talk to those that God places in our lives, and we set a goal, I'm going to win one person. Now, if you win somebody the next six months, start over again. Okay, don't say, okay, now I'm done for the year. I'm going to just get, get an early start of the next year. If each of us would share Christ, that's what the early church did. That's why it grew. If each of us would get involved in the job and missions, realize I have been sent. And beyond that, if each of us would say, you know what, I'm going to help send someone else. I can't reach Africa. I can't reach China. I can't reach some of these uttermost parts of the world. But I can be praying for those who God has sent to reach those parts. And I can give something. It may not be a lot. But I can give a little. When each of us does our part, that's how the world is one with the gospel of Jesus Christ.